Hi, welcome. Today we are talking to Jordan and Jordan is actually on staff here with Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions. She is our coordination specialist. So she does a lot of behind the scenes um, to make egg donor um, cycles run smoothly as well as surrogate journeys. So we love Jordan and um, I love her a ton, um, especially as a surrogate coordinator. But one thing that's so wonderful, um, like how Jordan came to be is actually Jordan is a five time egg donor. And that's what we get into um, in this episode. We go through um, just she tells her story. She tells all about um, a lot of her cycles, the differences, um, and we get to dig into her experience as an egg donor um, and how she even came to uh, know the world of infertility. So we are so grateful for Jordan. This was a wonderful, just fun conversation that we got to have. Um, and I definitely learned a lot. And I know this will be just so beneficial to anybody that is thinking about becoming an egg donor, um, intended parents that are looking into egg donation, um, you know, just all of that to hear a personal experience. So um, I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode. So buckle up. It's going to be awesome. Me, you, and who? Who knew it would take more than two people to have a baby? In a world where infertility is no longer a taboo topic, this podcast will take you through all the different aspects of surrogacy and egg donation through the lens of many who walk this journey in different ways. My name is Whitney Hall, and I am a two-time surrogate, now turned surrogacy coordinator for Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions, the very agency I used when I chose to carry for two amazing families. With this podcast, it is our goal to help guide and support you as you learn about what it takes to grow a family in an alternative way, as well as hear inspiring and beautiful stories of how this path has changed lives forever. We can't wait for you to hear about just one more way happy families are created every day. And thanks for doing this. Uh, you were like my first person to like reach out and be like, Hey, I would actually like want to maybe talk to you. So this was really exciting. <laughs> yeah. I, at first I was like, I don't know if they're only doing it for surrogacy. So she might be like, Nope, this is stupid, but I'll reach out. <laughs> no, 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 no. I like, I, I know surrogacy land obviously because that's just where I came from in terms of how I even got into the world of you know, just infertility and, and all of that. So it's so nice to have kind of you as like our resident, you know, expert just based off of your own experience. So thank you. I appreciate you even being willing to share. Of course. Yeah. How did you even like, how did egg donation even like get on your radar? Oh, goodness. Um. So I am a really big science nerd. I have been since I was in high school. Um, yes, like I took AP biology, AP anatomy and physiology as electives my senior year in high school, like nerd. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was always really fascinated with the reproductive system in general. And, um, one day I was at home studying for a quiz and I was just like, what happens if you know, people can't have babies on their own. Like what, what, do, what do they do? What are their options? Are there options? Like what happens? Yeah. And so I just started going down a Google rabbit hole 
And um, I had heard of surrogacy before. So like when I started seeing things about surrogacy, like that wasn't new information to me, but I was like, but I feel like there's more, like what else can be done other than surrogacy um, to make a baby? And then I started seeing ads for egg donation. And I was like, I've never heard of that. I don't know what that is. And so I started doing research on what egg donation is. Um, and I was too young to be an egg donor at the time. I was only 18 or 19. Um, right. And so I probably for the next three, four years, I just kept obtaining more and more knowledge about egg donation. And when I turned 22, I was like, you know what? I am going to be an egg donor now. <laughs> wow. Was there like a catalyst or was it like, I just, I have all this information and the time is right. And so I'm just going to do it. Like what made you switch from research and research to action? Um, Life got busy. Um, I went from nursing school to massage therapy school to police academy. Um, and then I finally landed... Yeah, all over the place, everywhere. Um, And then I finally landed into um, a job where I was at and I was stable there for about a year and a half. And um, when just the thought of egg donation sparked in my mind again, and I was like, you know what, I'm in a really good place. I'm in a stable place in my life. I'm ready to take that step. And I I went in, I dove in, I should say. (laughs) What? Okay, so... To school me, you can, to be an egg donor, you can actually, you can do it through an agency or you can be an independent egg donor through like a clinic, I suppose, if you're freezing eggs, or you can like independently match as well, kind of similar to surrogacy land. Yeah, absolutely. You can do all three of those. I mean, I, I've done all five of my cycles through um, agency, I feel like that is the best for me personally, because I have someone there who can really just advocate for me and do all the grunt work and the hard part. And I just get to do the injections and the appointments, which I guess injections are the hard part, but like, I'm not dealing with the logistics of the cycle. I just have to show up and do my part. So you knew from the very beginning you wanted to do an agency at no point where you like, yeah, I'll reach out to a clinic or, or anything like that. No, absolutely not. I knew from day one, I wanted agency. So what was your research? You, you had done all this, you had done the fun science part. So what was your research into finding an agency and how did you decide? Um, lots of still Google. Um, I visited a lot <laughs> of uh, agency websites. Yeah. Um, and I landed on Egg Donor Solutions, um, now Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions, but at the time it was just Egg Donor Solutions. Um, and honestly, from the second the website loaded, it just felt different. I don't know how yeah. else to really explain it other than every other website was just white and black and cold, and it felt very medical. And Egg Donor Solutions website felt like there was just color I mean it was maroon and green like there was just life to it um and it felt so warm and inviting and I stopped looking like I I applied with egg donor solutions right then and there as soon as I saw their website 
Yeah. So as much as we love the science and clinical part of it, you were like, hey, this is still like going to make a baby. We want like warmth and happiness. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we're making a baby. I'm a human. Like I'm sure, you know, well, I'm, I know that the other side are humans as well. And like, we're all here to help make babies. And I didn't want it to feel so cold. Like I wanted it to feel like purposeful and mm -hmm. And I really felt like that spoke volumes um, uh, through Egg Donor Solutions website. Mm -hmm. So once you, so you went through the application process and what was the application process like? Because I know as someone who applied to be a surrogate, it definitely took me like some time, but the egg donor side is a whole lot more in depth. It is. Yeah. The application side, well, well first you, you fill out a, a just a, quick questionnaire, a pre-screen to just make sure that you fit the basic requirements in order to be mm -hmm. an egg donor, like your height, your weight, your BMI, your education level, your location. Um, and then from there, you move on to finish your full application, which is very lengthy. And it's going into a lot of detail about your personal health history, your family health history, because genetics play a huge part in egg donation where it's not you know, as prominent in the surrogate world. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot more of those questions as far as, you know, different types of, you know, if there's cancers in your family, if there's risks of heart attacks and strokes and high cholesterol and diabetes, and it goes into all of that. Um, also, you know, talking about your education, your personality, you know, who are you as a person? Like what makes you you? Because, you know, we're, passing off your, your genes to another family and they want to know who you are. And so it's a very long application process, um, with, and, you know, lots of paragraph long answers for questions and, um, pictures, uh, from, you know, when you were a baby all the way to what you look like now. Mm -hmm. Um, and then once you submit your application and it's approved, then you move on to a phone consultation time where, you know, you kind of go over a lot of what was in your profile um, just to make sure that you understand like everything that you're getting involved with, the process, they, they covered that during that call, um, just to make sure that you don't feel blindsided whenever you get into the cycle, the actual cycle itself, so that you know exactly what you're getting into and, and what will be required on your part. Mm -hmm. I So as you're going through this in-depth application, then as it's becoming more real and you're talking to a person, did you ever waver or were you ever like, oh my gosh, like there's going to be a person out there that I'm related to, you know, like that just DNA relation, like did, did that ever cross your mind or, you know, you had just like, yeah, what was that? You know, I, I guess, yes, the thought has crossed my mind that there are or would be potentially at that point um, children out there who are genetically related to me, but I, I didn't grow them. They didn't grow in my stomach. I didn't birth them. I didn't give them up for adoption. It's There wasn't that emotional feeling behind that aspect it was more mm -hmm. from the perspective of the intended parents like what have these intended parents gone through that made them get to the point of needing an egg donor i mean mm -hmm. in, in my mind that means they have 
fought many battles. They have struggled. They have done a lot on there. And just for the chance to have a baby. And if there's one small thing that I can do to help them have that uh, and experience it, I mean, why, why not do it? Why, like, why not? Yeah. Uh, and, and so I've always come from that mindset more so than the, you know, oh yes, there are people genetically, I mean, there's people genetically related to me all over the world that I don't even know about. Like it, it all, you know, <laughs> aunts, uncles, cousins, second cousins, third cousins. Like, I don't right. know this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're so right. That's a great, yeah, that's a good perspective. I had never thought about it from, from that perspective. No, that's so, so true. Okay. So you had your phone conversation. It's getting real. Then what happens next? Then it's a waiting game. Uh, you, you have to wait for an intended parent to look at your profile, decide that, you know what, they want to move forward with you and um, select you as their donor. Unfortunately, like there's really not a whole lot else you can do other than completing your profile. I mean, you can, you can go back and you can make it the best profile you can do. Like, like yeah. I said, lots of detail, lots of photos, everything like that. But at that point, it's, it's out of your control until someone sure. selects you. So what was the waiting game for you? How do you know? Do you remember? Yeah, it was right at a year for me. Oh my it was, gosh. It was. Um, I finished my application in January 2016 and I was matched January 2017. Oh, wow. Okay. So you were matched with intended parents. Did you know them? Do you like, what, what is that matching process like? I did not. I, I was, um, an unidentified donor. So we don't give our names or our physical addresses, contact information, things like that, um, mm -hmm. to the intended parents. Now I do know that they have a baby girl. That's about as much information as I got from yeah. the, uh, experience itself. Um, and we use the term unidentified because we totally understand that, um, anonymity doesn't exist with things like 23andMe, Ancestry.com. So I'm not naive in the process of believing that no one will ever figure out who I am from that donation. I'm very open to, if anyone does figure out who I am, like having those conversations, of course. Um, but mm -hmm. I did go into that one unidentified. But that's definitely something for people to be aware of between social media and all of these, you know, genetic things that are out there. You know, you can be as anonymous as possible, but technologies. Yeah, yeah. that's that's one thing. Like, I mean, 20 years ago, I'm sure people were absolutely promising anonymous donation. I'm, I know that there's probably agencies and clinics to this day who still, you know, preach anonymous donations, but you you really don't know, like with mm -hmm. correct with those genetic websites and and for the fact that we have no idea how far advanced technology is going to become we, yeah. we don't <laughs> yeah so. <laughs> okay so you got matched and then where okay so you're in dallas that's where you live and your intended right. parents would have been did you like say i will only did you have geography limitations or were you like i'm the world's my oyster the world is my oyster. Take me anywhere. <laughs> nice. um, I, there's a lot of intended parents in the DFW area. So, um, I think all, but one of my cycles have actually been in DFW, even though I've said, <laughs> take me anywhere. <laughs> uh, so my, my first set of intended parents, they, they were in, they worked with a clinic in Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was, 
probably about 45 minutes away from me at the time. Wasn't too bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that it was just my hometown, my backyard. <laughs> there you go. It was right there. So you got started. The clinic got started. And that's essentially you get a calendar, you go through the cycling and, and all of that. We, the, the fun science part that we like nerded out with. How were shots? How was having, you know, going back and forth with your coordinator? Like what did all that entail? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really funny. I I say this to everyone, even when they ask me about injections and they're always like, I can't believe you would do that. That sounds like so (laughs) scary. And I'm like, you know what? It's always to me, the thought of the injection that is so worse than like, actually giving yourself the injection and to this day I know like if I had to give myself injections again I would sit there probably a cold sweat for like a few minutes and then give myself the injection and then be like why did I get all worked up about it it was completely painless (laughs) um and, and so I did that my very first injection I remember um my boyfriend at the time he's now my husband Um, I remember him being in the bathroom with me and he was like kind of freaking out just as much as I was. And he was like, do you want me to give it to you? Do you just want me to hold your hand? Like, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know. And I like was probably full blown panicky for about five minutes. And then I just sucked in and was like, I just got to do it. And I did it. And then I was like, Wow, that was so easy. So then the rest of the injections for the cycle after that was just so easy peasy. Like I didn't yeah. even blink or think about it the rest of the time. Look at that. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and I jumped ahead. So you got matched and it's not like once you get matched, you just immediately start like cycling. You have to go through like a whole process. Correct. So like, what's like that time? What's that timeline? Like you had a year of waiting finally <laughs> get matched. and then, uh, and then like, what was that? So it really depends on the clinic. Uh, This clinic for my first cycle ran much faster than I think any clinic uh, usually Mm -hmm. does. So typically it's about three to five months from when you get matched to when you actually have your egg retrieval. Um, I told you I was matched in January and I had my retrieval at the end of February, my first cycle. It was extremely fast. It doesn't usually work that fast. So usually you would get matched. Um, and then you would have your initial screening. So, um, you know, they would check for, um, STDs. They would check for, you know, if you're a drug user, they would check to see, um, your, your ovaries. They would look at everything. They'd give you a physical, um, the whole nine yards, um, genetic testing. If you needed to get any genetic testing done, um, And then sometimes they can get backdated more. So if you come back and you're a carrier of something genetic, then the intended father needs to get tested to see if he's a carrier of that same trait. So that can delay a cycle even more, but let's just say not. So you get to move forward. Um, Then you kind of move into the the legal clearance and the legal aspect of it. So um, the intended parents would have a contract drawn up and then, you would speak with an attorney, um, you being the egg donor, would speak with the attorney um, who's representing you and review the contract, make sure that you understand all of its contents. Um, and then once legal is cleared, then you can start the actual med cycle. So the, the full clearance, medical and legal clearance can take 
two months, two to three months sometimes. Mm-hmm. But yours was like lightning fast. So fast. Person. Yeah. How it, oh, with, and, and part of the medical screening too is a, a psychological evaluation. I did forget that. So mm-hmm. throw that in the mix as well. And you got that all done within like weeks, essentially. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It felt like. Oh I my gosh. Whirlwind. Bouncing around. <laughs> I bet. How, what was contracts like? Was that like overwhelming or did you feel good or was there anything crazy? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was super. I think again, it was like the unknown was really scary. So like leading up to the contracts, I was like, what is this going to be like? Are we going to have to go to court? Like, what does this look like? And no, it was just literally a phone call with the attorney reviewing a DocuSign making sure that you had a chance to answer or ask any questions that you have. Um, And it it took maybe an hour of my time. It was super easy. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Okay. So you got through all that med screen. You're now, you now have a calendar. You've broken into a cold sweat to have, to do your first (laughs) injection. And now the, the ball is rolling. So once, so between first injection and like, what's that, what does that look like? What's the general, I guess, well, I guess cycles vary clinic by clinic, right? They do. I mean, for the most part, the, the structure of the cycle will look the same. The, the big mm-hmm. things that change might be the medication protocol. Um, sure. That will vary clinic by clinic um, from my experience five cycles. I have not donated with the same clinic. So they've been five complete different clinics and mm-hmm. five completely different med protocols. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah. They can vary all, like each time. It's, it's funny how different it can be, but the structure of the cycle will typically look the same. So you'll get your cycle, you start medications, and then you start monitoring. So you're going to come into an appointment pretty much every other day um, for about two weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, if you go in on a Monday, you go in on a Wednesday and then you go in on a Friday and they're going to look at your ovaries and look at your follicle growth. They'll check some blood work, um, make sure that your levels are, your hormone levels are rising appropriately. Um, and all they're trying to get to, uh, the sweet spot. So they want your follicles to be the right size, not too small, not too big, um, to then have your, last injection, which happens at the end of those two weeks, which is called your trigger shot. Um, Mm -hmm. and that tells your body to go ahead and release those follicles for the retrieval. Um, and that happens usually about 36 hours before the retrieval itself. Um, okay. How was, so you said, I mean, you were going into an appointment every other day and then I'm assuming towards the end, you're almost going daily. What was that like just for your life in general with work and commitments and things like that? Yeah. The appointments were always early in the morning, um, which was nice. Um, There were times where I was late to work, um, but I had a really good conversation with my work prior to starting the process. Um, Mm -hmm. They were very well aware um, and supportive of that process. Um, And then, but the appointments lasted 30 to 45 minutes, if that. So it wasn't a huge like time commitment during the day. Obviously the process itself is a time commitment, but each appointment was very, very short. It was very in and out. I knew exactly what was happening. There was no curveballs or surprises when I was there. Um, They would literally, like I said, I'd go in, get an ultrasound, get a blood work, and then I'd leave and go back um, to work. Gotcha. Okay. 
So that, yeah. So it's definitely, it's good to have people be aware of like, hey, your work's got to, or you're going to have some, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I mean, yeah, this is going to be part of your life for a period of time. You're going to have to be aware of that work and other commitments that you have. You will be inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, inconvenience. I think knowing that you have to have some sort of flexibility um, yeah. with your work, being able to have those conversations with them, letting them know when your appointments are. Um, and, and yeah, and just like you said, just knowing that this is going to be the norm for a little bit until you're done with your cycle. So you had all that. It's trigger shot day. How is that? Oh, man, it's exciting because you know that the process is almost over um and it, i mean you've done so many injections at this time that the trigger shot doesn't feel like any different not more overwhelming yeah. or anything like that um if anything it's kind of like oh yes this is my last injection and you know yeah. it <laughs> it's, it's exciting. Um, I mean, nerve wracking. Sure. So for the very first cycle that I did, because I didn't know what to expect come retrieval day. Um, yeah. I mean, the clinic prepared me and told me what was going to happen, but until you've actually gone through it, like you, you your mind know. is still up to imagination of what it's actually Absolutely. like. Um, it's kind of like going to sleep the night before the first day of school, like. Sure. You're excited, but you're nervous. It's it's those those same feelings. How did you prepare for the retrieval day? Ooh, I drank tons of water. Yes, leading up to the retrieval itself. I mean, I made sure I got a good night's sleep. Um and I, you know, I made sure that I spoke with um again, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, uh, to be able to go with me to the retrieval because you are under anesthesia when you're under the retrieval. Mm -hmm. So you do have to have someone to be able to drive you back home. Um, so he was my companion that day of, and I just made sure all of those things were squared away, mm -hmm. um, prior to the retrieval itself. Oh, that's good. Okay. So retrieval day comes. What happened? Did you like pack a bag? It's day surgery, right? Or you weren't there overnight. Like what? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a super quick process. It's about a 15, 20 minute long procedure. Um, That's short. Yeah, it's super short. I mean, like, because you're under anesthesia, you're usually out for about an hour at most. But oh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a super, super fast process. So, I mean, I go back, um, they put me under anesthesia before we even got back to the retrieval room. So like my first cycle, I didn't even see any of that. I just remember like, okay, good night. <laughs> and then woke up with 46 written on my hand. Um, and I asked them what that meant. And they told me that that's how many eggs were retrieved. So 46. Wow. Uh, what that's, is, what's that? That's a lot, right? Like what's the that average? Yeah, no, the average is usually about 15 to 20. Um, oh so, so kind of nerding out just a little bit. Um, I, I think sometimes our school system doesn't do a great job of teaching women about their reproductive system and how it really works. We always know that like every month you have an egg that's released that can get fertilized and get pregnant. I think everyone does understand that, that yes. basic information. We would, hope, we would hope that people would understand that. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> But what we really 
kind of neglect to educate people on is that um, while your body's releasing that one mature egg, your body's also releasing 15 to 20 immature follicles. Um, and what egg donation does is it takes those 15 to 20 already naturally releasing immature follicles and mm -hmm. matures them in order for the retrieval to happen. So you're not donating or giving out more than your body would naturally release that month. I just so happen to be a high releasing donor who releases anywhere from 30 to 50 eggs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic, but it doesn't mean a lot of bloating on my end. So. Oh, I believe it. Okay. So you have number 46 written. Yes. Your, your partner takes you home. What was recovery like? Uh, recovery is like probably my favorite because you're still a little groggy from the anesthesia. So you get the excuse of like, I'm just going to go home and sleep the rest of the day. And like, no one can be mad at you. No one can call you lazy. Like you just did this. Yeah. You just think someone <laughs> like you take the day you sleep. Um, and, and that, I mean, that's what I did. I think I went to sleep when I got home. I mean, my retrieval was in the morning. I probably was home by 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And I, I slept the rest of the day and my wonderful husband brought me my favorite meal for dinner that night. And, uh, yeah, and it was great. And, and by the next day I felt back to normal. So look at that. So yeah. once retrieval was done, was that just the end? Was there post, you know, appointments or anything like that? There was no post appointments um, for that cycle uh, specifically. I, I did have some um, not great recovery after my second cycle um, mm -hmm. and that did require some post follow up with, but my first one, no, and my three through five, no, <laughs> but I did have a wonderful coordinator for each of my cycles who did follow up with me to make sure that I was recovering um, well um, and just was really supportive of making sure that I felt comfortable, uh, which I really, really appreciated. Um, and then, yeah, they reached out to me to let me know when my intended parents found out that they were pregnant. And then again, when they um, had a live birth. So uh, I, I really appreciate that information. And, and I always joked that um, when I, when I was a donor, when I donated all five of my times, I had not been a parent of my own before I'd not have a child of my own, but I always assumed that the feeling that I felt when I was told that my intended parents were pregnant was like the same feeling that I probably would have one day when I found out that I was pregnant. Um, and now I do have my baby boy and I can tell you that it is very, very similar. Like, I mean, of course I feel it more when I'm pregnant and it was, it was my baby, but to hear that your intended parents were pregnant and that the work you did leading up to it really did make a difference in their lives. Like it's just a feeling like no other. I, I don't know how to explain it other than, yeah, it's the closest thing to reading your own pregnancy test. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. The, ooh, I got the goosebumps. Oh, I love that. Okay. So you have alluded to, so we'll go back. You are five time anchor. <laughs> yes. One. I am. And three through five, resulting in 
a bajillion eggs since you are <laughs> Miss 46 on your hand. But what happened with number two? You already alluded to, you did have some, some problems. What are like, what happened there? Yeah. So like I said, um, all five of my cycles had different medication protocols. Um, my second cycle, um, the, the biggest difference in my medication protocol was a different trigger shot than we had used in my first and then through three through five. Um, so there's two, trigger shots you can have one is like a synthetic version of this hormone and the other one is the actual full-blown hormone um and so my second retrieval I had the full hormone which just was too much for my body and how many eggs I release um and so my body just retained a lot of fluids after that um and it was to us or to me so it was very glaring that that was like that was the biggest change in that cycle um, so I felt comfortable saying that, yes, that was the reason why I didn't recover as well. Um, and said, if I wanted to donate again, I wasn't going to have that trigger shot. I wanted the synthetic. I clearly did perfectly well on it. My first cycle, they got 46 yeah. eggs. It was great. Um, and I only want to do that trigger shot and three through five, we only use that trigger shot and I recovered fine. So I, to this day, feel confident saying that for me specifically, my body did not like that, that trigger shot. I mean, obviously it was a successful egg retrieval. Um, but then what you retained a lot of fluid. What is that called something? What was the recovery? Like, what did the clinic do? Just all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that condition is called um, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, or OHSS for short. Um, it There's two versions of OHSS. So there's a mild OHSS, which does um, usually uh, 10 to 30% of donors can experience it. And their body does retain water. It, it feels like when you're on the medications, and it feels like a lot of those side effects, except usually in about three to four days after the retrieval, your body just naturally takes care of it on its own and you feel a hundred percent. There's usually not need for follow-up care. Um, sometimes you might go see a doctor if you, um, you know, would like that peace of mind or that clarity, but usually it's just going to be rest, increasing your water intake, eating protein, um, and, and letting your body just naturally take care of the water retention. And then the second tier to that is moderate to severe OHSS, where about one to five percent of donors can experience that. Um, so and pretty, like a pretty it minimal. Is, it is a very small, yeah, it's a very small percentage. Um, and that a lot of times your body still can take care of that naturally. Sometimes you might have to then go see a physician, and then in extremely rare circumstances, um, hospitalization would be required. In my case, I was the lucky like 1% who did require hospitalization. Oh, lucky you. played the lottery what, that day for sure. <laughs> what was the, like, what was the indicator? What were your symptoms and how did you determine like, Hey, this is, uh, uh-uh. yeah. So like I said, when I woke up from my first retrieval, I felt groggy. I wanted to go home and take a nap. And like, I, yeah. and that is very normal. My second cycle I woke up feeling groggy, but I was also just uncomfortable, not just like cramping and bloating. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it other than I just was like, this feels dramatically different than 
my first cycle. And I went, I, this was the one cycle that was not in the DFW area. It was in Austin. So I was away from home. I went to the hotel. Um, and then I tried eating because I was hungry and I couldn't keep my food down. Uh, and I just felt just gross. And I was like, you know what? It's fine. I just need to sleep uh, and I'll feel better. Yeah. And I went to bed and I did. I woke up feeling world better. And I was like, okay, this is great. So I drove home from Austin to the Dallas area, which is about a three and a half hour drive. Um, and I was probably about 30 minutes away from home when I just started feeling kind of this tightness in my chest. Mm. And I thought it had been from wearing my bra too long. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling of like, all right, I just need to take my bra off. I feel constricted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm in a long drive. I'm in a three and a half hour drive. I've got a bra on. I've got a seatbelt on. Like, that's really all this feeling is from. So I got home, got comfy, and it just kept getting worse and not better. Mm. And I distinctly remember sitting up in my bed to grab the remote to watch a movie. And I turned. And when I turned, it felt like for half a second, I couldn't breathe. Oh, and wow. I immediately picked up the phone. I called my care coordinator and I said, Hey, you know, I, I don't think something is right. Like I feel like this tightness in my chest is getting worse. And she said, yep. If you've got the tightness in your chest and you feel like you can't breathe, please go to the emergency room. Like I, I, that, that is from my understanding that one of the biggest indicators that you have reached into that moderate to severe OHSS because that fluid retention has come so high that it is now pushing on your lungs, causing you to feel like you're kind of having that, oh, wow. um, that tightness in your chest or that shortness of breath. Yeah. Um, so I did, I went to the emergency room. The great thing about working with an agency, which is another reason why I really am an advocate of working with an agency is that they put all these protections up front so that if something like this were to happen and luckily in my case, it, it was in place um, that there was insurance purchased um, for this specific reason prior to me starting the medication. So I didn't need to provide my insurance to the emergency room. I, I gave them the insurance that was provided to me from my agency and I never had to pay out of pocket for anything while I was in the hospital. I ended up being there for a total of, I want to say it was six days. Um, wow. Yeah. And I retained so much water. I looked like I was, well, I joke, I joked that I looked like I was three months pregnant, but I really didn't gain that much weight when I was pregnant. So <laughs> I really looked like I was like nine months pregnant looking back on it. No, um, but I did retain a lot of, a lot of fluid. I, um, and, and then just one day, like they, they wheeled me down. I, I remember it so vividly. They wheeled me down telling me that I needed to go um, have my ovaries aspirated, meaning that they were going to put a needle in and drain all the fluid from my ovarian. And I was terrified. I was like, I don't want that to happen. It's really not like as scary of a process as it sounds. But still, I was like, this sounds scary. I don't want it. And they were like, okay, before we do this, we're going to wheel you down. We're going to get one more ultrasound on you um, before we make you go through this procedure. And I was like, okay, cool. So they wheeled me down there and the ultrasound tech is looking and he looks over at me and he goes, 
I don't think you need this procedure. Your, your body's starting to get rid of this fluid. Um, so you have a lot less than you had in there the last ultrasound. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. Let's, let's wheel me back up. I don't want this procedure at all. <laughs> so oh, they wheeled me back up to my room and, uh, then I, I promise you, it felt like every five minutes I was going to the bathroom. Like I was getting rid of that fluid, like yeah. nobody's business. Um, and then I went to sleep that night and I woke up and all that water weight was gone. I felt a hundred percent as if like none of it had even happened. I mean, I, I was discharged that day. Like it was. Oh, day. oh my gosh. So in the hospital, were they, were they giving you medication or were they mostly monitoring you or was it like, yeah. So they mostly monitored me for the first three days. The fourth day they started giving me some injection. I can't remember the title of it. I want to say it was like Lasix um, to help with the fluid retention. Um, We'll start getting the fluid out. Um, To me, it didn't seem like it did a whole lot for the first day. I believe in my heart it was my Chick-fil-A sweet tea that got the the natural diuretic in my Chick-fil-A sweet tea that started getting all that water to come out. But, um, um, but yeah, so I start, I was on injections for about two days. Luckily they were not self-administered this time. Somebody else was giving them to me. (laughs) Um, and yeah. And I, I mean, between that and I joke about the sweet tea, but um, the the Lasix I think is what really started getting that um, that water weight off. And and like I said, once that water was gone, it was night and day how I felt. Did during this whole thing, obviously you had your coordinator with you. Did the intended parents <laughs> know what was happening, or do they even like you don't worry about this part? Like you you have your yeah, eggs. I, honestly don't know if they, if they know what happened. This was after the retrieval. I'm obviously, it was again, another unidentified cycle. So it's not like I could reach out to them and let them know. Um, their clinic was aware. We did tell their clinic and cause, um, when I first had the, the side effects, um, we reached out to them before I had the tightness in my chest of like, Hey, what do you suggest she tries, um, to help with this discomfort? Um, so we know that they were aware. I, when I was in the hospital, I had to reach out to them to send my records over to the hospital, um, or I had to reach out to my coordinator to have her get my records sent over. Um, I did not. Love that. I did not personally <laughs> sit there and get my records over. <laughs> you didn't have to. You had a coordinator. Yes, I had a coordinator. Fantastic coordinator who she she was so great at finding the balance of respecting my time of recovery, but like still checking in to make sure that I was okay and had everything I needed. And I, that was just it was such an amazing feeling. But yeah, to answer your question, honestly, I I, I don't know if the intended parents know. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. But yeah. you obviously recovered fully. You had I your did. sweet tea. And you were discharged yep. and then life went on per usual. What made you, I mean, after having such an insane experience, what made you go on to do three through five? <laughs> I get that question all the time. Um, you know, I didn't feel like I was done helping and I felt like there was a very clear 
explanation or reason as to why I didn't have a great recovery that in my head, I was like, I'm not done. Like it, it sucked being in the hospital, but I wasn't like, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. And if it happened again, I could expect it and I could know what was happening. And obviously I wouldn't have donated again if it happened a second time, but I was willing to at least give it another try. See if, you know, if I change that and that trigger shot, if I recover better, like I just don't feel done helping. And so I decided I would give it one more try and I got matched for my third um, cycle. And that was a beautiful cycle. My, my favorite, I probably shouldn't have a favorite of my cycles, but that was my favorite. I have actually met those intended parents now. They have triplets. Oh, wow. um, oh my gosh, triplets. Triplets. It, it's, it was a great experience. Um, and I recovered well. Um, I didn't have, you know, any OHSS or any concerns like that. Um, actually, we had a, a work photo shoot two days after my retrieval, I think. And, and I went. So like, I felt fine. <laughs> um, and... So then it just kind of solidified that like, yeah, okay, I can keep doing this. I, I feel like I had a really good understanding as to what happened and how to prevent that moving forward. And, and it's been, you know, it's worked for me <laughs> for three other times. So I really, yeah. At any point in time, especially during the hyper stemming, were you ever worried about your own fertility? I wasn't, um, you know, I, there's a lot of like scary things if you dig too far in the internet and I tried sticking very much more with scientific based evidence, um, which shows that there is no link found to show that egg donation causes infertility. And and probably the biggest thing that I can say as someone who's been through it now five times is I felt so confident actually going in to have my baby that or trying to then have my baby in the future of like, I knew exactly where my fertility was. I knew what my ovarian reserve was. I knew that I had a lot of (laughs) follicles released every month. Like I felt so, so confident that I was like, if we struggle at all, I'm sending my husband (laughs) to get him tested because I knew that my fertility was in such a great spot. I mean, you probably know more about your body than most people. I mean, Lord knows I I didn't know what was happening to my body when I had a baby. I mean, you probably know way more and most egg donors are probably way more educated. So yeah, yeah, I I told you I was a huge science nerd, very big on the reproductive system. And I don't think I learned half of what I did as an egg donor before that. Like I just, my knowledge of my body and myself is just maximized by 10 when I did this process, honestly. And it's funny. One of the things I learned was that I have Jewish ancestry somewhere that I had no idea about because uh, I am a genetic carrier of a trait that's passed down in Jewish ancestry. I had no clue about. Wow. There you go. The more, you know, (laughs) that's amazing. Okay. So you, okay. You, you were, were you a known donor or that's the right word. Were you a known donor for any of your other cycles or just that third one? So, uh, my 
cycles three through five were all known donations because I work for the agency that I donated through after. So after my second egg donation cycle, I started working with them. Um, and so because my name and my picture are on our website, <laughs> we decided that it would be best practice if those three cycles were known donations. Yeah. I will say I did not meet the intended parents prior to um, starting the process. Known for for us was just that everything was signed with our legal names. Um, so that we, we had legal names. We, you know, could look each other, although it's you know, you don't do that. Like that, that's not best practice is to look each other up, but we had legal names. Um, and it was after my fifth donation, it was actually when I was pregnant with my son that my third set of intended parents reached out to the agency and said that they wanted to meet. Um, and so we met after that. So I didn't have any like contact with any of my intended parents going into the cycles themselves. Yeah. How how was the meeting of of them and meeting these triplets, especially now with with your own baby? I didn't get to meet the triplets. Um, they didn't. I think it would have been a lot to bring triplets to a Starbucks to, to meet up. Um, absolutely. <laughs> but they did show me pictures of them. They they were so great. It was really. It it just made that level of why I did this just solidified like even more I mean it was so to witness firsthand what they had been through what they've gone through and now having their three bundles of joy and it was really fun at that moment to meet them because I think I was like oh man 30 weeks pregnant maybe whenever I met them in person so then it was also like just babies all around of like happy families being created you know and it was just it was so humbling. They brought this beautiful, beautiful bracelet to me that was a puzzle piece. And it had the three little, you know, point outs to connect to other puzzle pieces with one indent in. And my intended mother said that um, each one of the point outs is to represent one of the triplets. And then the point in is to represent me uh, unable to, you know, that was the reason that their puzzle pieces fit together. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, was, did you cry? I was bald. I, I did. I did. I tried holding it back in and I think I did a really good job of like not just blubbering, but I, when I got in my car to go home, I just was sobbing the whole way home. <laughs> Leave it. Not to mention you're 30 weeks pregnant, but yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Although it was really embarrassing uh, when we were there, there was this bee that kept like trying to land on me. So I'm trying to have like this really like cool, calm, collected, like just discussion with them. And this bee just keeps trying to land on me. So it was, it was great. I love it. I love it. Sounds beautiful and very hallmarky. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So, okay. You are, you're done being an egg donor because you can only do it or what, what is best practice? You can do it six times. Um, so I could go back and donate again if I wanted to, I'm on the fence if I want to or not. I I've loved it. I've loved every experience of it. Um, but there's a huge calling in my heart to move on to surrogacy now that I've had my son. Um, and I feel like I could be at peace having donated the five times that I've donated and, and be content with that. One of my intended parents, reached out 
when I like first got pregnant with my son to see if I'd be interested in doing a sibling journey. Um, so I would be open to doing a six cycle for them. Um, if they are even still one or two as an egg donor. Okay. Correct. Yes. Um, if they're still open to that, whenever I am done breastfeeding and everything like that with my son. Um, and if, you know, if not, if they're, if they feel like, Never mind. the door is closed and then they don't want to move forward with the sibling journey. And then I, I think that would be my cue that I'm also done with egg donation and I'm ready to move on to surrogacy. Yeah. That's so awesome. <laughs> so, okay. All of that, you've, you have created happy families. You have blessed all of these intended parents, but you were not like in the United States, you get compensated for this, which is wonderful and amazing. You, you get paid to be inconvenienced, if you will. Yes. Um, what, how has that, like, what did you do with that? How has that blessed you and your family? Oh my goodness. It has been, I mean, I discourage any donor from getting into egg donation solely for the compensation aspect, because really it's, it's just the cherry on top, but you know, the, the whole ice cream Sunday is the fact that you are helping create these happy families. That emotional aspect of it is worth so much more than the financial aspect. With that said, I will say that the financial aspect has helped me and my husband tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, just through normal life. Um, I mean, I will say our first compensation or two I did use for my dream wedding <laughs> so <Yeah>. was, it, <laughs> was it used in the smartest sense probably not but it had I didn't regret my wedding and the slightest bit and I'm so grateful that I was able to have that experience due to yeah. having been able to create these families with cycles three through five, we paid off debt. We took care of my husband's student loans. We put the down payment for our house. Um, So we became homeowners at 26 with no debt, um, other than obviously now our mortgage. But, and, and so it was such a man, an amazing, like feeling knowing that we were bringing our son into this world, like financially stable, like truly, truly financially stable. We were financially stable before being egg, like before me being an egg donor, but now we didn't have all the standard normal debt that people usually have. I mean, people die with student loans and to know that like we didn't have those and we didn't have a car note and you know, we, all we had is our, have is our mortgage. That's so amazing to me. That's just, yeah. Because I think you're right. Yes, people have, I mean, and more power to you to spend your money how you want to. That's fantastic that you had a dream wedding. That could be, I mean, that's a dream for anybody. Why wouldn't you? Um, so that's that's awesome. Oh my gosh, I love it. Do you have a favorite story from your egg donation, whether it just be silly or sentimental? One through five. <laughs> oh, um. I would probably say, I mean, I would just, number one, I just don't think you can beat your first. (laughs) I just don't think you can. I mean, for me, like, it was so just new and exciting. And not that the rest weren't exciting, but the first one was just, 
it's what's it's what kickstarted my passion and yeah. made my love for it. And that hasn't I mean, that was January 2017. Here we are in February of 23. And I still absolutely love egg donation. And I still love helping to create happy families, even if that's not via egg donation anymore. Like that passion is still there. And it's still something that I will keep fighting for. And, you know, I just, yeah, I think my first, I don't think there's necessarily a a story behind it other I mean, I think it's funny that my husband was freaking out so much with the injections with me. I, I think that's really funny. But <laughs> other than that, I don't think there's like another story pertaining to it other than just like, it was just a great experience that really started all of this. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I love that. What would you say to any like prospective intended parents or egg donors, just as far as things to be aware of, if you're even thinking about doing this? Um. Like I said, I I mean, I I discourage donors from coming into this strictly for the compensation. I really think that education goes a very long way um, to know really what you're getting into, what all it involves, needing the flexibility, um, knowing that it's going to be an inconvenience for you and and truly being okay with that um, before you get into the process. Because yeah, going to appointments every other day for two weeks, giving yourself injections, being able to respond to emails or text messages, having a retrieval at the end of the whole process. Like it is a lot. And as long as you're in it because you really want to help create families and you really want to experience that feeling of you making that difference, I I mean, like, please, please come help. (laughs) (laughs) there are so many intended parents out there who who are looking for their perfect donor and I mean if if you're just slightly interested do the research and come on over no absolutely absolutely okay my final question for you this is just a silly question so uh, (laughs) at the time of this recording it is 1 p.m and if anybody knows me, they know that I have a coffee addiction, i.e. I'm always drinking it. So it can be literally or figuratively, what filled your cup this morning? For me, it was coffee. And talking to <laughs> you. Oh, man, what filled my cup this morning? Um, it's what fills my cup every morning for the past seven months since my son was born. Um, and that sounds so cheesy, but every morning... When he wakes up, you go into his room, you turn the light on, and he has this groggy look on his face. He's rubbing his eyes, but then the second he makes eye contact with you, he gets the world's biggest smile. And it's like that, like, oh my gosh, my mom is here. This is the best day ever. And then he, like, hides his face because he's so shy, but then he looks right back up at you and smiles. And God, it's the just the... Oh my gosh. It's my favorite. My favorite. It's the best way to start the mornings because I'm not a morning person. Just, I'm not like mornings are not my jam, but to wake up every morning to see that, like sign me up. I'll do it every day. Yes. Oh, that fills my cup. Just listening to that. He's the cutest. Oh my gosh. That little face. (laughs) I love it so much. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk with us through all of your adventures as an egg donor and now as a mom and maybe a surrogate someday. Yeah, um, 
I so appreciate you sharing um, just all of that. So thank you, Jordan. Of course. You have just finished listening to an episode of Me, You, and Who. To find out more about Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions, go to www.createahappyfamily.com.